Matthew 14, 22 reads, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. It was tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25, Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I'm going to be preaching to you today from this thought, walking on the sea. And you may be seated. I mean, I feel the Lord wants me to preach today some peace, some hope, some strength, and some encouragement in your life today. Amen. How many of you guys would be okay with that? Ready or not? I don't know what kind of struggle you find yourself in today. I don't know what difficulty you're facing with your school, with your job, your family, your marriage, or even your ministry. But I do know a man named Jesus. Amen. And in the middle of the storm, he is able to come to you walking on the sea. As we approach our story in the text, we read a pretty incredible display of Jesus' miraculous power when he feeds the multitudes of 5,000. It's an amazing story. We love to share and to read. And afterwards, in John 6.15, Jesus tells us that the people wanted to take Jesus by force and they wanted to make him king. Well, that wasn't the part of his plan at all. So he departed again to go up to a mountain to be alone. And instead of having his disciples tag along as they usually did, he told them, hey, I want you to go get on a boat and go all the way across the Sea of Galilee. It seems that they were a bit reluctant to get on the ship because the Bible says that Jesus actually made them, it's the words used, made them get on the boat. It was by design that Jesus compelled the twelve to get in the boat and to row across the sea because this was going to provide Jesus an opportunity to not only demonstrate his authority to them, but also to provide some pretty valuable instruction for them as well. So as we read, reluctantly, the disciples, they started to load up in the boat. And I'm sure for some, this was a very familiar body of water. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they grew up fishing on those waters. And in fact, Jesus called several of them. They're on the shore of Galilee. He called them to ministry, as you will recall. It started out that evening pretty routine, I would say. They were at the water's edge. They could feel the gentle breeze coming up off of the the Sea of Galilee. And then I'm sure they started to get the boat ready for the journey. They made uh, made sure they had all their supplies, including some of that leftover food for a snack on the trip over. They checked to make sure they had their oars, check. Anchors, check. The drain plug, check. They made sure... They had that. That was an important detail. All the fishermen in the house have at least one story of a drain plug not getting put in the boat. And do I have any witnesses in the house today? I can imagine, though, Matthew, the tax collector, making some calculations and asking the other disciples if things were in order. Does everybody have their life jackets? Do the, the lights on the boat work? Oh, we don't have those. 
And I'm sure Peter, Andrew, and James were like, bro, seriously, we grew up on the water, okay? We've got this. Everything's under control, and we're ready to get on our way. So after they made all these final preparations, they left the shore, and they started on their journey. But the Bible says about three miles into the journey, a fierce storm came, and it engulfed the boat that they were in. And I'm sure that when the storm hit, they thought to themselves, Oh boy, here we go. Hey, make sure you tie down those supplies. Make sure you secure everything, especially those leftovers. Okay, make sure those tie down. We don't want to lose those. We need to be ready for what's going to happen here. And I'm sure somebody had to point out the obvious. Guys, we're seriously, we're in some deep trouble. Because the last time that we were in a storm just like this, Jesus happened to be with us, and he was in the boat, okay? But he's up on a mountaintop this go-around, and we're in some serious trouble. Things were getting dangerous. They were wet. They were cold. And Mark 6.48 says that they were distressed in rowing. They were straining at the oars. They battled the raging storm through the long hours of the night. But despite the opposition they were facing, something kept pushing them along. That motivation, it came in the form of a simple command. Jesus had instructed them to go across the sea, so across the sea they would go. It's difficult to imagine what fatigue and discouragement must have gripped them at that moment. They were exerting themselves by the minute, and yet they were not able to make any headway against the storm. And sometimes it feels like we too, in life, just keep spinning our wheels. If you know what I'm saying. It's like we're on a treadmill, taking many steps forward, but always getting pushed back to where we started. But while troubles and why difficulties may disturb our calling from Jesus Christ, they must not drive us away from it. Amen? And I pray the Lord would help us to not be the type of church that turns away and backs down and heads back to the shore at the first sign of a storm, at the first sign of a struggle. But something inside of us says, hey, God's called us to move forward and we're going to do everything within our might to make sure that that happens. They kept pushing forward because Jesus was coming, walking on the sea. Even though the disciples did their best, they may have thought that they were all alone. At this point, it was pretty late in the night, around 3 a.m., and they were most likely in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They were surrounded by miles of water, and the storm clouds left them in utter darkness. Abandoned in the night, they couldn't have felt further from Jesus than ever before, but Miles away up on a mountaintop, above the storm, the Bible says that Jesus was in prayer. And there, Mark 6.48 says, he looked down in the midst of the waters. And on their significant speck of a boat, the Bible says that God, Jesus, he saw them there. Can I remind you, remind somebody today that needs to hear this, that God sees you at this exact moment in your life? You feel that he's left you to your struggles. He sees all the trials in your life. He sees your issues. He sees the turmoil of your life. But be encouraged because Jesus said that he was not going to put on you more than you could bear. 
He's here tonight, amen? Today. As the disciples would soon learn, he might not come when you expect him, but thank God Almighty, as the old saying goes, he's always going to be there right on time. And he sees you today, and he's about to come to you today, walking on the sea. At this point, the disciples, they'd been struggling for quite some time, but somehow they were pushing forward. Maybe one of them remembered That it was in the morning watch that the Lord appeared for Israel in the Red Sea and it gave them that hope. Maybe one remembered a familiar scripture, Psalms 121.4. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. But then, in their darkest hour, like many times before, Jesus was moved with compassion. And he came down to the disciples walking On the sea. And when he came, he wasn't in a panic. He wasn't struggling. I don't think Jesus was trying to get his footing as the rolls waved and making she stumbling along the way. No, he just came strolling onto the scene. And the sea that hindered their obstacle, excuse me, their movement was no obstacle to Jesus Christ. All that they feared brought no fear to him. And this is a lesson that we need to be reminded of from time to time, that we need to not stress the mess in our lives because Jesus is in absolute control. Amen? He's not breaking a sweat over your circumstance. He's not worried or concerned about the opposition that you face. So cheer up because God is with us. And if he is with us, who can be against us? Amen? So Jesus, he came walking on the sea. and Perhaps because of the fierceness of the storm or the dimness of the light, he came, but they did not recognize him at first. They thought he was a ghost. I wonder who was the first to spot Jesus. You know, there's always that one person in your group. Hey, did you see that? No, no, seriously, did you see that over there? I think I saw something. Like, man, we're in the middle of the sea. There's miles of water surround us. There's nothing out there. No, seriously, behind that wave over there, with a flash of lightning, I saw something over there. Man, James is seeing things again. I told him that he needed to take that Dramamine before he left. He's all messed up right now. But things, they got real, really quick when they all could see a figure in the storm walking towards them on the water. Expecting death, I'm sure they thought, well, great, here comes a spirit from the underworld to escort us to our watery graves. Terrific. Because of the stress and the anxiety of the situation, they were allowing their imaginations to jump to unrealistic conclusions. From what the Bible tells us, the disciples, they were more afraid of the irrational thought of a ghost than the actual storm and the waves. It's easy sometimes to imagine the worst, isn't it? In a fear and an anxiety-filled society, it's easy to imagine the extreme what-ifs of our situation. It's true that one of the greatest battlefields is in our mind. But somebody needs to get a hold of the fact that God has not given us, he's not given the church a spirit of fear. 
to the power of the Holy Ghost, there needs to be renewing of our minds. We need to let God restore some peace into our lives. So when you're in a storm, don't let the irrational thoughts overtake you. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to submit our thoughts to Jesus and let him take care of the rest today. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and be of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord, your God, he is the one who goes with you. The name of the Lord is truly a strong tower that the righteous can run to and be saved. So remember, even when things are as worse as they've ever been, Jesus is nearby and he's walking on the sea. So then it happened. Above the raging of the storm, the disciples, they heard a familiar voice bringing a word of comfort to them. Jesus said, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Those are some pretty powerful words. Just knowing that Jesus was near was more than enough to remove all the fear from the disciples. Those words were an instant reminder of who Jesus was. Those words were a reminder of the great and the miraculous things that he had done in the past. It was that same voice that called out that night that at the beginning of time said, let there be light. It was that same voice that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. It was that same voice that told Mary, do not be afraid. It was that same voice that called the disciples to ministry. It was that same voice that they heard speak healing to the sick, restoration to the lepers, and life back into the dead. It was that same voice that had previously commanded the winds and the waves to cease. And that same voice called out to them, walking on the sea. Be of good cheer, It is I, do not be afraid. Those words would be words that the disciples would never forget. The root word for it is I is ego and my, which also means I am he. This was God's name. I love that this was God's name when he came to deliver excuse me, deliver Israel, excuse me, in Exodus 3:14 when he read those powerful words, said those powerful words, I am who I am. But then later in John 18:6 at the betrayal of Jesus in Gethsemane, he said those same words, I am he. When Jesus said, I am he, the soldiers, the officers, the chief priests, the Pharisees who had came to arrest him, they drew back and they fell to the ground by the power of Jesus' words. 
And that's what happened to those who opposed him and tried to apprehend him by force. But when Jesus used those same words to those who were trying to apprehend him by faith, they were raised up, they were comforted, and their fear was removed. Amen? Somebody needs to get a hold of what I'm saying today. That that same voice of Jesus Christ is here today walking on the sea. Jesus is walking on the sea of your doubt and he wants to restore faith in his power. He's walking on the sea of your difficulties and he wants to restore hope into your situation. He's walking in the sea of your weakness and he wants to bring some strength into your life. On the sea of your sickness and he wants to bring some healing to your bodies. Amen? Jesus is here and he wants you to know, hey, it is I I am that I am. Do not be afraid. Psalms 42, 7 through 8 says, Deep calls into deep. At the noise of your waterfalls, all your waves and billows have over, gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Jesus is here today walking on the sea, and he wants you to know it is I. Do not be afraid. At this point in the story, while the disciples were comforted, they were still in the midst of a storm. The Bible says that the wind and the waves hadn't stopped just yet. And I can see them soaked to the bone. They're clinging on to the edge of the boat. They're holding on to the mast. They're holding on to one another with just a silly grin of amazement and wonder on their faces. Wow. Did you see that? (laughs) Jesus, he's walking on the sea. They had to be thinking, this is amazing. (laughs) Now, I'm sure the disciples along with many others, were trying to figure out or explain what was taking place at that moment. It seemed like there was some contradiction of the known law of gravity. But in all actuality, there was no contradiction or suspension of the universal law of gravity. There was simply the exercise of a stronger power. What happened that stormy night was the exercise of Jesus Christ, his omnipotence on full display. The disciples had a front row seat on that boat that night as the creator of the wind and the sea once again revealed his authority over them. And church, Jesus has the power over the laws of nature. He can control them at his pleasure. The disciples shouldn't have been too shocked because his omnipotence was established in his word long ago. Job 9, 8 says, He alone, he spreads out the heavens and he treads on the waves of the sea. So, yes, logic says Jesus should have sunk in the sea of Galilee. But it, he did not. And logic tells us, it tells you that the doctor's report you received, that there's no hope for your condition. 
From the counselor's report, logic says there's no hope for your family and there's no hope for your marriage. From the economic report, there's no hope for your future employment. But thank God we know the name of the one who has all authority and power in heaven and in earth. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. He can turn your situation around when there seems to be no way out. He comes walking on the sea. Amen. If this story wasn't good enough, then comes Peter and he enters the narrative. Ever impulsive, ever impetuous Peter decided to turn things up a notch and go to the next level. He was not content for waiting for Jesus to come to them. Peter Peter remembered the last storm they were in and how they were saved because Jesus was in the boat. And logic says this time Jesus is over there outside of the boat. So, hey, I need to go where Jesus is walking on the sea. So Peter quickly concluded it was safer with him. I'm sure he didn't have any hesitations about getting in the water. Peter grew up around the Sea of Galilee. He grew up fishing those waters, possibly swimming in the waters. We read later that he jumps in with his outer garment, his fishing robe, and jumps in the sea and swims to the shore to Jesus. He's not afraid of the water. But he first made this statement. He said, Lord, if it is you, I want to check with you first. Command me to come to you on the water. Now, I've been in some powerful moves of God. When I left, I felt like a spiritual superman. I was ready to go and tear down the gates of hell myself. Anybody ever been there before? But in those moments, I had to make sure that it was the anointing of God and not just my adrenaline at the moment. It's okay to be inspired, inspired by God to do some great things. But if it conflicts with the word of God, excuse me, the word of God, then it's a no-go. That's off limits because the word of God supersedes every thought, every imagination, every desire. We got to be in line with the word of God. But as crazy as Peter's request was, Jesus issued the simple command, come. It's okay, let's do this, come. And Peter demonstrated remarkable faith in Jesus. He dared to believe that he could do anything that Jesus could do if it was his will. And this is primarily a short, excuse me, a story of strength, of comfort, and encouragement. But I want to pause. I want to issue a bit of a challenge today. I'm not sure what your next step needs to be in your personal relationship with God. That's between you and Jesus. But in each of our lives, we need to have the spirit of Simon Peter that is willing and ready to go forward over the edge no matter the circumstances. It might be taking that next step in your relationship with God. It might be taking that next step in ministry. It might be taking that next step to reach out to that coworker at work. It might be that next step to teach that home Bible study. For our college students, it might be that next step to start a campus ministry uh, work at their college campus or the students at P7 Bible Club. If you're new to the church, it might be taking that next step to the altar to surrender your life finally to Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. That's all between you and God. 
But if God was telling me to come to him, I would jump overboard like a cannonball. (laughs) Here I come, both feet forward. I'm jumping in because it's so better to obey God and jump over, amen, than to get dumped like Jonah after he refused to go to Nineveh. Can I get an amen? So in the midst of the storm, wind and waves, Peter experienced the miraculous. Like Jesus, he was walking on the sea. Now, while Peter had his strengths, he definitely had his weaknesses like we all do. The enemy knows where to hit us hardest. And for Peter, it was his lack of faith. He struggled with trusting God through the completion of a situation. We we later read that instead of taking a stand for Jesus, he denied him three times before the crucifixion. We don't know how far he walked that day on the water. If it was one step, five steps, ten steps. But what we do know is that at some point he became conscious of where he was at. He realized where he was walking. And Peter began to sink. And he began to sink when he looked at the wind and the waves around him. He began to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus. And at that moment of taking his eyes off of Jesus Christ, suddenly fear came rushing back and it gripped him again. And once you commence your journey, the struggle to keep your faith, your spiritual journey, it doesn't end. The struggle doesn't end. But when you take your eyes off Jesus... And you start to focus on your circumstances. You start to focus more on your problems and your issues than on Jesus Christ. I promise you, your faith will fail. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's why it's so important to keep our eyes on Jesus. I challenge you today, take your eyes off of your problems. Take your eyes off of your circumstances and your struggle and put them on God who's here today walking on the sea. As a result of Peter taking his eyes off of Jesus, his faith failed and he was beginning to sink. Had to be a scary moment in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. But at that moment, Peter The first thing he did, he immediately cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And notice, the Bible says that Peter called out to the Lord when he was beginning to sink. Right at the beginning. As soon as he realized that he was going down, without waiting to be engulfed by the sea, he cried out to the Lord for help. And today, to someone whose faith is failing To someone who is sinking in your struggle, don't wait until it's too late before you cry out to God for help. Don't wait until your marriage is too far gone before you cry out to Him. Don't wait until your bad habits and your addictions and decisions have buried you beyond the point of hope. Don't get too burnt out in your service for the Lord before you cry out to God for strength and refreshing. Amen. And before you go down, remember, Jesus is here today and he is walking on the sea. After Peter called out for help, Jesus instantly, 
instantly responded to him. Now, I've had my own experience, personal experience, with the sea. We were on vacation in Panama City, and we had family there, and we had a boat, and we were out in the bay fishing, enjoying the time we had, and there we saw some dolphins in the water. It was, it was neat. But growing up in Miami around the ocean, my dad told us that, hey, we've been around dolphins a whole life. You can feed them. Look, you see your cousins in the other boat. They're in the water swimming. Go ahead, jump overboard. I wasn't having it. My eyes were not on Jesus at that moment. They were staring into the deep of the ocean at the large objects darting through the water. And in that moment, instead of the hand of my father helping me, he was hurling me over the edge of the boat into the sea. That's your pastor. He threw me overboard. It explains a lot, right? I have to go see Brother Brad after this talk with him today. But now as much as I didn't want to sink into the dark depths of the ocean, all of my arm flailing, reaching for the edge of the boat, crying out, did not save me. I was instantly submerged and my fate was now in the hands of the dolphins and the other monsters of the deep. I didn't have the same experience as Peter and Jesus, but I almost literally walked on the water back to that boat and uh, wasn't happy at all. Open wounds. Anyway, it was pretty amazing that Jesus was immediately at Peter's side. Immediately. Faster than he could sink, Jesus was there. And church, Jesus instantly grabbed his hand. I want you to know if you will call out to Jesus Christ, if you call to him, he will instantly be at your side. Isaiah 59 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And I'm thankful that we can stand on the promises of God. And wherever you find yourself today, Jesus is walking on the sea. He hears your voice. He hears your cry. And he's reaching out, extending his hand to you. He's here walking on the sea. When Jesus brought Peter to the boat, the wind died down. The disciples saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Peter walk on water. And they once again saw the winds and the waves retreat for Jesus. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him saying, Truly you are the Son of God. It was a very powerful statement and a confirmation of their faith in Jesus. They had a realization of the nature of God that he is one. It was the same realization that the centurion had at the crucifixion of Jesus. It was the same realization that Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 1. They realized that all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus Christ. No one but the creator of the world could have multiplied the loaves. No one but the spirit of God that moved upon the face of the waters could literally walk upon the face of the waters. 
The disciples realized the same thing that was spoken in Colossians 2.9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. They're reminded of the old truth of Deuteronomy 6.4. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They realize what somebody needs to realize here today. That when Jesus came walking on the water, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God of the universe had stepped onto the scene with them. Along with his powerful nature, with along with his resources and his help and his strength. And everything you need today, it's found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank God that he's here today walking on the sea. John 6.21 says, Then they willingly received him into the boat. And to conclude the story, and immediately, everybody say immediately, the boat was at the land where they were going. Wow. When the winds died down, They realized that their struggle was over because they had already arrived at their destination. The Sea of Galilee was 13 miles long, 8 miles wide. And the Bible says they had previously only gone halfway. And that was with them rowing and pushing in the winds, forcing them back. But miraculously, the rest of the voyage was supernaturally accelerated by Jesus Christ. He brought them through five miles of the Sea of Galilee. And to top it off, he didn't just bring them to a random destination. He didn't just bring them to some point along the shore. He brought them to the exact spot where they were headed. Amen? And we are the disciples of Jesus. And we have embarked on the ship of the church. We may find ourselves a bit battered, shattered, and distressed. But although we may find ourselves tossed at sea, with the help of Jesus Christ, he's going to help us finish our journey. He's going to help us arrive to our final destination. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 says, We are hard pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. And we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I'm thankful to know all things will work together for good for those who are in Jesus Christ, because he's here walking on the sea. Amen. I pray that through the word of God today, someone would receive some peace. That someone would realize that there's hope here today. That Jesus Christ is truly here walking on the sea with strength and encouragement. As difficult as storms are, they're an opportunity if you allow for God's power to be on full display. Remember that Jesus, he's aware of all of our difficulties. He's present with all of our problems. Psalms 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Thank God that Jesus Christ is here today for you and for me walking 
on the sea. Amen. Can we bow our head this time and pray? Lord, I love you. And I thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to be here today. God, you love us so much. You love your church. You love your people, God. And I thank you for a message of hope for those, God, in the midst, God, of a storm, those in the midst of a struggle. Lord, those around them may know about it, but others may know nothing of what's taking place in their lives. They don't know anything, God, of what is happening in their situation. And though, God, we may feel that you're a million miles away, you see us in the middle of our storm. You have never left us. You've never forsaken us, God, but you're here to day and you're calling out to us. Your hand is extended. Your ears are listening to us to surrender our lives to you, to turn our attention, to call out your name, oh Lord. And I pray, Lord, like Peter, like the disciples, that you came to their rescue, that you would calm the winds and the storm of life and our church people, that you would be a healer today, that you would be a deliverer today, that you would be a strength and a provider today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.